And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. A strange story. Last week, the Department of Health and Human Services ordered St. Francis Health System, a Catholic hospital in Oklahoma, to extinguish a Eucharistic candle in one of its hospital chapels. I guess uh, HHS thought it was a fire hazard and thought the hospital could lose its accreditation if it failed to comply with certain fire laws. Well, thankfully, religious liberty lawyers brought attention to the case. The department backed off. But let's take a look at what actually happened. With me is Andrea Pachati-Bear. She's legal analyst for EWTN News and also directs the Conscience Project, also a fellow at the Institute for Human Ecology at Catholic University of America. Andrea, good to have you back here. Thanks. Uh, Al, thank you so much for having me. It's always great to speak with you. This is a crazy story. Who thought this was a good idea, you know? No, you're, that's exactly the exact reaction that I think everyone should have to this. Um, and it really just shows in many ways how unchurched many people are in yeah. America in understanding the significance of the sanctuary lamp, um, candle being lit next to the tabernacle, yeah. and, um, and the steps that people of faith take to make sure that in exercising their faith, they are not presenting any kind of danger to the health and safety of others. Yeah. It's just, again, amazing that they would, that HHS would imagine that it had greater concern for the well-being of um, St. Francis Health System than the St. Francis Health System uh, had for itself. I mean, this is, to, to look at this crazy it's... No, you're you're absolutely right, and it's important to kind of give a shout out to these Catholic healthcare systems that oftentimes are serving rural areas, um, the elderly, low income. St. Francis Health System, in particular, serves a number of people on Medicaid, Medicare. They are critical to the fabric of the social safety net, and threatening to shut them down causes a lot of problems. Fortunately, that, that didn't happen, but we have to be very mindful of, of if we're not vigilant, yeah. um, the most vulnerable amongst us are going to be the ones that suffer the greatest. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, how, how did this come to people's attention? Who, who blew the whistle on this? So, you know, I think it's, again, one of my favorite religious freedom groups out there, Beckett Law. Yeah. They, as, as you know, and your, your listeners probably remember, are continuing to defend the Little Sisters of the Poor. They were victorious in the Supreme Court um, on behalf of Catholic Social Services of Philadelphia in their um, efforts to protect their foster care placement system from having to endorse same-sex couples as foster care uh, parents. And they're kind of known as the greatest show in town when it comes to these these issues. Um, there was a local law firm as well that was working with Beckett um, in letting them know that, hey, you know, St. Francis, uh, you have a religious freedom right, not only under the Constitution, but under the federal laws, particularly the Li- Religious Freedom Restoration Act, mm-hmm. which is being targeted right now. Um, and that basically says that the federal government cannot burden uh, religious practice, religious exercise and worship um, without a compelling reason for doing so. And there is clearly, um, if there was a real health and safety issue, that could be a compelling interest um, that the government has. But in this case, there just wasn't. Right, right. Let me, I want to pick up on a piece that you wrote uh, over nationalreview.com, and that has to do with a movement 
within, uh, well, largely American Catholicism, although I'm sure it also touches in European circles as well. And that is what sometimes is called uh, integralism or post-liberalism or common good constitutionalism. Uh, Now they're using the phrase political Catholicism. What is this movement about? You know, I think it's kind of a movement among some Catholic intellectuals mm-hmm. um, where they're responding to a very difficult time that we're living in, um, a difficult time that we're living in in the United States, a difficult time that we're living in as Catholics. And they're offering to people, predominantly young people, mm-hmm. um, who are orthodox and genuine about their faith, a solution that's that's fairly... Um, kind of naive, right? Mm -hmm. And their solution is that everything will work out great if the church just takes over, and that our system of government is going to basically force through Catholic teaching on issues of morality, the the notion of the common good, and that sort of thing. Um, And it sounds great on paper, you know, at, at first blush, but the more you drill down on it, I really think it goes against our role as Catholics to evangelize, and our role as Americans to respect the rule of law. And part of both of those teachings is a profound defense of religious freedom. And the best phrase that I can think of to to encapsulate all of this comes in the Church's Declaration on Religious Freedom, where we say the truth cannot impose itself except by virtue of its own truth. Right. You know, I've I've interviewed some of these folks, and, um, you know, I I don't doubt the goodwill or intention here. But, I mean, um, we've been at this for 2,000 years, and we've we've had lots of different experiments in the relationship between, you know, Catholic faith and public life. And uh, it's not as though this hasn't been tried before. People, t- no, you, people didn't like the results. You know, you're you're right, and and it hasn't it hasn't been good for civil society, but even more important, it hasn't been good for the church, right? Um, because it takes the burden off of all of us to spread the good news and basically say, you know, that that the the teaching faculties of each and every one of us to bring people to a fullness of of understanding God's plan for them and for the world around them is going to be kind of subcontracted out to the government. Yeah. Um, That the government's going to do that for us and everything will work out. As we can see, you know, just looking at our current government, things don't work out really well. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Unless there is that, that check and that respect for individual rights of conscience, um, and for recognizing that, you know, we're in a a modernity where each individual is choosing to come to God freely. And that's something that the Church has been supporting and that our country and and in our our Constitution really does protect. Yeah. So do they expect that somehow... um the American people all of a sudden would take, you know, look at Catholic social teaching or they would take a look at um, 
certain Catholic understanding of church and state, and somehow everybody would be convinced that this is the best way to do it. I mean, I just don't even know how you get how you move this thing along. No, I think that you know there's very much fuzzy on the details, um, and I'm not the first person to point out kind of the impracticality of this idea. Um, A lot of, you know, political pundits in in the United States are are talking about, you know, it's just not going to work given that America is a pluralistic country, and that's part of our strength, right? Right. And that's also um, has allowed, and this is something that one of my colleagues at Catholic University, Professor Brad Lewis, has said, you know, the Catholic Church is in a great position in the United States. There's no other country in which the Church is able to thrive right. as well as it is today as, than, than the United States. So for the sake of you know, the Church as institution, but also for individual believers, um, there's a lot of problems in this. And then just from a, a practical kind of political theory perspective, there's a, there's a lot to say that this just isn't going to work unless we endorse rejecting the rule of law. And that's something that um, is really not consistent with a Catholic understanding of political theory um, and, you know, and really will end up putting us in a very bad position at, the, at any conversation. Yeah. Well, rejecting the rule of law doesn't mean there won't be law. It means, <laughs> it means law will be imposed one way or the other, and usually not very happily. Uh, there's no way society can't exist without law and the question is what's the source of law and in our you know in our country we generally talk about consent of the governed um and you can say well well shouldn't god be the source of our law well yeah uh, theoretically so but how do you work it out uh you work it out through people that he created and uh, that's been one of the great developments in western political thought i guess uh so i'm I just don't know why that's not ex- why that's not appreciated as a real advance. You know, I think oftentimes, Al, um, there's always an allure to power and control, right? Yeah. And we know that that was one of the biggest challenges that the founders were confronting. Yeah. Um, and and looking at how to come up with a system of government, a set of laws that would basically put in check our instincts to want to garner power and have control over one another. Um, and, and that the freedom that God gives each one of us find him to have a personal relationship with him is one that the government should be interfering with. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's a kind of a, a silly idea, and hopefully we can move on. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, thanks. Uh, let's talk again soon, okay? Thanks, Al. <laughs> Andrea pachati Bear, again, legal analyst for EW10 News. She also directs the Conscience Project and is a fellow at the Institute for Human Ecology at Catholic University of America. I'm Al Cresta. Coming up next, proclaim liberty throughout all the land. <laughs>